is Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio, a podcast where we talk to video game composers about their experiences writing for games. I'm Emily Reese. Double Fine Productions released a game called Stacking in February. In this puzzle adventure game, you play as the tiniest doll in a set of Russian stacking dolls. You get to stack into and out of larger dolls using their creative abilities to solve puzzles. The story of stacking deals with the issue of child labor in the late 19th century. Audio director Brian Min wanted to use 19th century music to paint the scene, and he asked veteran composer Peter McConnell to help fill in the gaps. I spoke with Peter and Brian about their experiences working together, and we were also joined by the game's designer, Lee Petty. So Lee, how was this idea born? Just because of the issues it deals with in such a, a light way. You know, I mean, yeah. let's get some stacking dolls and talk about child labor. I mean, <laughs> how, did, how did this come up? And just to have it be completed in, in such a creative and touching way. It, it really just started one day when I saw my daughter and she was playing with a set of stacking dolls, you know, positioning the dolls and stacking them in and out. And um, I just sort of wondered what story they would tell and what sort of world they would live in. And one of the things that's interesting about Russian nesting dolls is that, you know, as you sort of go from the outside in and reveal the smaller dolls, sometimes the sort of theme changes and it's almost like you're revealing a a hidden truth. And just this idea of the world's smallest Russian stacking doll came up, you know, Charlie Blackmore, our main character, was just sort of ignored because he's so small and thought to be kind of useless. And, you know, the Russian dolls were more or less invented around the turn of the 20th century. And I started thinking about what sort of situation he'd be put in. You know, I really like the idea of this theme that um, no matter how small you are, um, you can you can change the world. You can make this big contribution. And I still wanted to have kind of a lighthearted experience at the same time. And I started thinking about some of my favorite Charles Dickens and Oliver Twist being an obvious one, but even even movies like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, and those all have these really kind of dark themes, but they're still very playful and kind of whimsical. And um, that's really where I started. And uh, just the idea that Charlie would be there to sort of free these other kids and that the world of adults, they're kind of going about their day-to-day business and they've sort of accepted all these social norms that these small kids are being put to work in these ridiculous ways in the game. You know, like they're scrubbing out the inside of a a steamship pipe with a toothbrush or, you know, they're shoveling coal by carrying these giant coal buckets on their head. It's it's so ridiculous, but it is really the type of decisions that maybe (laughs) exist in the world today or in the past. And uh, it just became a metaphor for all those sorts of things. And um, yeah, that's where I went. (laughs) That's where I started from. (laughs) (laughs) So then from there, did you decide, okay, this stacking doll, I want, I want their special power to be this. I want their, you know, I mean, because they're just so creative, all the little powers that each, each doll size and, and type has. One of the sort of moment-to-moment things we wanted to put into the game was this idea that you could just kind of stack into other dolls as Charlie and take control of them. And, and uh, you learn a little bit about the world from the way people talk to them and the type of things they might say, but also what their ability is. Those dolls become the tools that you use in the world to, to progress the game. I wanted it to just be an experience that you could play at your own pace. You could kind of look in the world, see all the details, build up the fabric of the story, and just have fun playing with dolls. I wanted to make men play with dolls, I guess, is the, <laughs> <laughs> is the subversive element yeah. there. <laughs> no surprise with Lee.
Brian, you were the audio director for Stacking, and Peter, you wrote some of the music. So what was that experience like for the both of you? Well, this is uh, Peter here. Um, I'd say Brian really uh, is the music in the game. He really was the, the uh, he well. and Lee kind of, kind of came up with the <laughs> vision. And so so I think, you know, anyway, I will pass. Well, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to take credit since, you know, a lot of these, uh, the music that we selected that's highlighting are, you know, past great composers. So it's, you know, I can't really take uh, credit for it other than just kind of uh, being the mirror, as it were, to sort of reflect kind of music in the past that's been sort of lost uh, and it was a great opportunity to showcase the versatility, the drama, and just the beauty of, of the music that uh, so often is forgotten unless you showcase them uh, hopefully through new mediums like this and people fall in love with these kinds of music all over again. It was also a great opportunity to showcase um, what music can do especially with such visuals uh, that was so stunning in the game. So it was, it was a great opportunity to be able to showcase uh, the music that I really love. your background then Brian I mean do you have a classically trained background yeah um, yeah so I, I have I have a music composition degree from UCLA which was an odd kind of a thing to have for the game industry uh, so yeah I, I studied I studied classical music um, I wasn't the best of students <laughs> I tried my best <laughs> I do remember the fact that with uh, musicology was one of the most difficult things uh, just because you know a lot, lot of obscure pieces were played for me and I'm like what is this I couldn't make sense of it but of course now being able to draw from the wealth of knowledge that I had that I loved, uh, it was a, it was just a great opportunity because um, we had a very limited budget and I had a high-level mandate of wanting to make things very acoustic and uh, using live instruments for video games. I think when Peter and Lee came in for that first kind of pitch when we had that prototype, we were pretty convinced that, wow, this could actually really work. So you, Brian, said uh, you kind of conceived the idea of the type of music that would be in this game, or did Lee give you direction on that as well? Uh, well, this is Lee. Um, Brian and I, you know, obviously uh, Brian's music knowledge uh, greatly outstrips my own. But, you know, when we were first developing the game, um, you know, the game has a lot of different influences. And one of those influences is silent film. But I knew that we didn't really want to have the music of, say, the 30s in the game. The game itself is a, you know, a mix-up of a lot of different eras um, kind of put together to create its own world. And so I didn't want it to root it in one era too firmly. We wanted more of a timeless feel to the game. But because we did have these silent film sort of stage plays, we do a lot of the storytelling through these silent films, it needed to sort of be scored like a silent film was. I think you know, we started looking at it as like, well, we should have a strong piano component to that. We sort of combined that idea 
uh, with the fact that we wanted it timeless and, and wanted it kind of classy because the game um, has this combination of sort of high and lowbrow influences, I call it. You know, on the one hand, we have sort of elegant visuals and classical music, but there's also this aspect to the game where you're kind of a misbehaving or mischievous child kind of pulling pranks. And, you know, I didn't want it to be like Carl Stalling or, you know, Looney Tunes music, you know, really cartoony. We wanted to kind of give it a little more depth. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Brian again. And um, just elaborating about what Lee said, initially what we were going to do is let's pick a certain music. We'll have Pete score these kinds of music that was very acoustical, that's very reminiscent of that kind of era. But, you know, obviously with budgetary constraints, we had to kind of say, well, maybe Pete could score certain key moments and then we can supplement that. But what would be the kind of music that would work well? We didn't want to select pieces that were very familiar or I didn't want to go too obscure and pick pieces like some stuff from John Cage or George Crumb or some of the weird <laughs> <laughs> George Crumb. I remember George really. George Crumb and yeah. child labor. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that, did, that did cross my mind, but I thought I thought it, w- it just wasn't quite accessible. So finding that sweet spot where, well, if I can pick a bunch of pieces that were kind of familiar but not quite, I think people will think that. It feels like classical music. It feels like a real score, but it doesn't take away from the fact that 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 Looney Tune factor where it's so recognizable. And so um, I spend quite a time just listening to all sorts of music. And as much as I have a classical degree in music, I'm certainly not a music historian. So it was a wonderful time to just discover a lot of different kind of music. I had to have Paganini in there because he's one of my favorite composers. So he's in there. Not his main concerto in D, which I couldn't license, but really was just trying to make it feel like a classical score that's familiar, but not too much. Even like we have a Vivaldi piece in there, but it's not the famous one. It's sort of his winter version. So things like that, like just selection and those kinds of level, uh, I think helped that game. This is Peter speaking. There's that gilded age factor too. There's a lot of there's a lot of sort of uh, 19th century, late 19th century imagery, and I think you chose music that really kind of evokes that too. There's a kind of uh, Jules Verne yeah, aspect yeah. to the look of it that that gets picked up in the music. Absolutely, is the music that I loved, and so it just kind of like, well, I hope this works because I think it will. And um, it was that era that I was most comfortable with, and so I just went with it. I think when you start to put these kinds of scores to picture, you know when it works. <laughs> Thank you. 
So, Peter, I want to actually yes. speak specifically to you, um, since you're you were my original contact. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, you've been doing this for for years and years and years. You're founding one of the founding members of the Game Audio Network Guild. Um, yes, you know you've you were the the guy for LucasArts for a long time, if I'm not mistaken. You were the I was one of three guys for LucasArts for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, how was this experience different than your previous projects? Well, I think, you know, in game music, you're dealing very, very often with parody. And it's a lot of fun to deal with parody. In some ways, this is a little more serious in the, in the sense that I really wasn't trying to, you know, evoke a little smirk with, uh, you know, a 19th century piece that's put in a funny place that is made funnier by having 19th century music there. It's more like this is the kind of music that belongs in this scene and you want to be very faithful to it. So it was kind of in some sense of a more serious endeavor. I think that filtered over into all the details of how I, how I did the composition process and really trying to be faithful to uh, the style and the forms as much as you can be. Peter, when you discovered that your assignment was to write in the style of late 19th century music, how, how did that work for you? How did you prepare? You mean besides being, you know, daunted and intimidated? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, write like Chopin, Peter. Write like Chopin. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> Actually, I like to call it Mopan, you know. It's like Mop Chopin. Faux-pan. Yeah. Faux-pan, yeah. Faux-pan. <laughs> in fact, I think that's what I did call it when I wasn't being serious. But uh, how did I prepare for it? I certainly listened to what Brian had chosen for the game. I also happened to just have a great love for all things frock coat. Um, so, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I love the music anyway. So it was just a chance to revisit that world that I also studied. I, I studied uh, music as an undergraduate at Harvard. We certainly got a, a good deal of 18th and 19th century training there. And uh, it was nice to be able to revisit that whole world. So a lot of it, I think the answer to your question is already in my blood. Uh, you know, even if I hadn't really written a whole lot of it, it was there, and it's just something that I loved. Peter, what do you think the biggest challenge is for a composer who writes music for video games? And I also wonder what the specific challenge was for you when you were writing for Stacking. In general, the biggest challenge is always interactivity. I mean, you want to make what you've written sound like it was scoring what the player happens to do at the moment. And that's a challenge both technically uh, and also compositionally. That is is probably the sort of front and center challenge when you're doing music for games. Um, for stacking, I wasn't actually doing much of the interactive music. I, it was it was uh, my music for situations that were the sort of very big showcase cutscenes, and we wanted to have the music follow what was going on in them, just like a glove, to follow it from just you know moment to moment. So I would say the challenge in that situation was to make something that sounds like a piece of music that would have been played in a salon, it sounds like a mazurka or a song form, or you know one of those small 19th century forms, and yet what it's doing is actually scoring a picture that already exists. So that, w- that was tricky, and it was a lot of fun.
think what games do is they expose people to a lot of different kinds of music that they haven't heard. Uh, years ago, I scored a game for uh, Tim Schafer, who's the Double Fine uh, Commander-in-Chief, called Grim Fandango, and that was a, uh, a swing score. And I still get letters from people in Latvia, you know, tell me about this music that you did in Grim. What kind of music is it called? Who should I listen to? Oh, you know, listen to Duke Ellington, listen to Count Basie. Of course, there's this kind of music in movies too, but games exist in a world of uh, sort of online connectivity where people go to the composer's website and they say, oh, here's the guy who wrote the music for stacking. I'm going to send him an email. Uh, so I think, I think in that way, uh, games bring a broader audience to more kinds of music. I think it's a really great thing. Sazer is the violinist on the on the pieces that I did, and she's a fantastic, uh, obviously, player, and, and she was my teacher. I learned how to improvise on violin from her, and my whole approach to violin completely changed being her student. And Elizabeth Thanderven at the cellist, you know, she's part of the network uh, that Irene is in of local musicians, and she plays a lot of 19th century chamber music as well, so she was, you know, sort of a obvious choice as well. The reception has been quite good, yes? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've yes. we've gotten a lot of great reviews, and um, you know, I've heard from a lot of people who who say um, who who are gamers who like the game, but then they say, you know, my wife never plays games, or my mom never plays games, or but they really love this game, and that was really one of my goals was to um, maybe try and reach a few people who, you know, maybe have this old stereotype of what games are, um, and this isn't a violent game. It isn't a game where you you know are shooting space marines with guns, but it's still got some lowbrow humor. It's still got some uh, immediate fun things. It's not all just, you know, kind of a classical inaccessible experience. And um, yeah, it's we've gotten lots of positive feedback, and it's been great to hear. And of course, you could also use that idea of trying to draw people in who aren't accustomed to maybe gaming. You, you can do the same thing with the music. I mean, you're you're really drawing people to listen to music they would probably not otherwise listen to. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm certainly no musician, and I haven't had that much music education in my, my college career. But, you know, one of the things that always struck me when I was in college and I was in some of my basic music classes is that... Uh, some of this stuff was the pop music of the time, you know, it has power, you know, like the Mendelssohn piece that, that Brian selected for the Baron is a really powerful piece and it's really addicting, you know, it's got a, it's got a kind of a haunting refrain that's always playing in my head and in the game and I've had a lot of people comment on the music and not really know it was a Mendelssohn piece or that it was written, you know, many, many years ago and um, I think that's fantastic. How do you feel about the transitions between the licensed music and, and your original music? 
I feel great about it. <laughs> uh, part of that is is uh, working very closely with Brian to make sure we were getting the sound. It, you know, they're just little details of uh, actually getting the recordings to sound like they were more or less made, you know, in the, in the same room or if not in the same room, uh, turned out by the same record company. That was a huge, I mean, that was the goal was to make it so that you wouldn't know. It was just all one score. Uh, Lee's comment about the Mendelssohn and sort of how 19th century music was the pop music of the day reminds me of the, the function of the salon. These particular scenes in, in the game that I scored, are they're very intimate that way. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're sort of like a little vaudeville theater or a little, uh, what's your term for it? The silent film. The silent film, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the thing that you try to avoid is... is uh, you must pay the rent, but I can't pay the rent. You know, the, you don't want to. You don't want to have something that's comical. You want to have something that really sounds like it's seriously trying to do what it's doing. And uh, just as a detail, you were asking about musical influences earlier. Besides the Chopin, which was a huge, I just really wanted to fit in with the Chopin pieces that were that that were already in the game. A piece that kept popping into my head was. Uh, are you familiar with Die Urkönig by uh, Schubert? Schubert. Mm-hmm. What that is, is a um, dialogue between a father and son about a mystical creature that's following them as they're riding a horse. You hear the father singing and then the son. And so there's this dialogue in that piece that was very much to me like the dialogue that was in these cutscenes, where, you know, the baron would come in and the family would cower and, and there, was, there was always sort of a, a someone was saying and talking and someone was responding. So musically, that was something that I kept thinking about as I was doing that piece. My I was really excited to work on stacking, and um, I'm really hoping that people who maybe have a certain image of video games only being a certain type of game would give stacking a try and see that there can be a lot of beauty and fun and humor and gameplay all together. It was great working with Brian and Pete on this, and um, without the music of the game, stacking would have been uh, a shadow, I think, of what it could have been. So I'm very fortunate to have these guys working on the game. Yes, the three of you created uh, just a wonderful gaming experience, all three of you did. So I have you to thank for that, for my own personal gaming pleasure, and also just so thankful that something like like this came to fruition and has been so successful. Good on you. Thank you. All right, so much. It was wonderful. been listening to a conversation with the creators of Stacking, game designer Lee Petty, audio director Brian Min, and composer Peter McConnell. On Top Score, a series of podcasts where we talk to composers about their experiences writing for video games. Our next episode features composer Jason Graves, who created a terrifying soundscape for Dead Space and Dead Space 2. I'm Emily Reese. Our technical director is Sam Keenan. We had additional help from Rob Byers. And by the way, I'm Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hello. This is Peter. Hi, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brian. Thank you so much for having us. Wow, Peter this and Brian sound Thanks. very similar. Really? 
Well, yeah, you did we from have about, under. about the same pitch. And yeah, kind of, a, yeah. kind of a similar okay. timbre. But you have and, the and uh, Lee? audio. I could this is Lee, yeah. Oh, yes. hi. Well, hi. <laughs> I could be a little. No, I won't do that. 